Wasabi wallet. Unfairly private. What's up, everyone? I'm Ben with the BTC Sessions, and this is your daily session. Huddle that Bitcoin. Before we dive in, shout out to sponsors of the show, Ledin.io. This is where you can use your Bitcoin for a variety of different services. The first thing I ever used of theirs was their Bitcoin-backed loans. This is where you can use your Bitcoin as collateral to get a Canadian or US dollar loan. So if you need to get your hands on dollars, but you don't want to sell your Bitcoin because one, that's taxable, and two, you may be worried about buying back in at a higher price, this could be with you. I've used it before and it helped me out a lot. Um, I needed my hands on dollars, so I was able to deposit my Bitcoin here, get dollars into my bank account within 24 hours, and when I paid that back, I got back the exact same amount of Bitcoin. Now, they also have their Bitcoin and USDC savings accounts. These get interest rates of up to 11.7% annually paid monthly, and they've got their B2X offering, which uses the same loan mechanism to instantly buy more Bitcoin, effectively doubling your Bitcoin on the spot. So if you want to check them out, there is a link in the show notes down below. And if you click that link and opt to get a loan, they'll give you 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin for free. And secondly, we have our friends at... Crypto Cloaks. If you have not heard of these guys, what have you been doing? These guys are awesome. Bunch of really awesome Bitcoiners got together with some 3D printers and started pumping out amazing swag. Some of my favorite swag out there, actually. Uh, so they've got uh, node shells. By the way, I'm building an umbral node coming up and uh, I'm grabbing one of these cool shells for it coming up. So you'll see that in a future video. But besides the fact they have a ton of great stuff, these Bitcoin grenades are awesome for gifts. You can put open dimes filled with Bitcoin, hopefully, in them. They have sticker packs. They have drawer units where you can store uh, hardware wallets. They have, of course, got shells for your hardware wallets. They've got coasters. They've even got nightlights. A little bit of everything for everyone. Highly recommend you check them out. Head over to CryptoCloaks.com. And hey, if you want a little bonus, if you use the code BTC Sessions, all one word at checkout, you can get 5% off. So be sure to check them out. And finally... We have the Kobo Vault. I have done a full tutorial on this thing. I love it. It has moved into my regular rotations of regularly used hardware wallets. This thing is fully air-gapped, meaning that you never actually plug it into an internet-connected device, meaning that it protects your seed phrase or your private keys to your wallet. It keeps your funds safe. It has Bitcoin-only software or firmware, which I highly recommend you run. It's, of course, got a secure element in the thing. And my favorite thing would be the integration with all of my favorite wallets. You can use it with Bitcoin Core. You can use it with Electrum on desktop. You can use it with my favorite desktop wallet, Wasabi Wallet. And of course, you can use it with Blue Wallet, which is my day-to-day -day Bitcoin wallet on my mobile phone, which is on iOS and Android. So be sure to check out the Kobo Vault. I am currently using the Kobo Vault Pro, uh, which has the rechargeable battery included, which is awesome. I love it. Uh, and by the way, they're giving away some free stuff. So all you have to do to get the Kobo Tablet Plus, which is a steel plate to st store your backup seed of any wallet, uh, all you need to do is retweet this show on Twitter 
and tag myself and Kobo and just let us know why you want one. You have to be in the can in Canada, the US or the EU, but other than that, no other limitations. Retweet, let us know. With that, let's dive into the show. So Bitcoin price has taken a bit of a dive overnight. Now, is this a catastrophic dump or is this just a pullback before further upside? Well, I mean, it's anybody's guess, but we're going to read into some of the sentiments and some of the stuff that's going on uh, right now. So prices for both Bitcoin and Ether, who cares, fell sharply in the past 24 hours after a drop in global equities. Top cryptocurrency by market value was uh, has traded around 10,400 at press time. I think is just below that right now, uh, losing around four and a half percent over the previous 24 hours, while Ethereum lost over eight percent over the same time period. So about double. Uh, the market correction in the top tier two cryptocurrencies came after the U.S. stock market fell to a two-month low amid fears on further pandemic-related issues. Uh, the German DAX and the UK's FTSE indexes were also down by around 4% on the, on the day. The Hang Seng Index began the week with a 2% decline. Throughout 2020, we have consistently seen a strong correlation between crypto markets and traditional finance markets, and the crypto market's response to the drop in the Dow Jones of around 2.2% uh, this morning has reaffirmed this correlation, according to a note from Glassnode, a crypto analyst analytics firm on Monday. Uh, the data site warned investors to keep an eye out on the stock market for further impact. Um, yeah, there's there has been correlation, but again, it's correlated until it's not. And and again, it, it seems like in these massive panicky sell-offs in the stock market, everybody's looking for liquidity. So if everybody's looking for liquidity, they're going to sell any assets that they need to cover any of their obligations. We saw that in March, although much more pronounced than we're seeing right now, when uh, the stock market fell off a cliff and we saw Bitcoin fall by like 40, 50% in a day. Uh, but we're also up from that point. We're also up um, higher than we were for most of the year, other than when we went up around 12,400 in the recent weeks and have since dropped from then. But um, significant recovery from that sell-off. So if anybody was picking up sats on that drop, they've done quite well for themselves. Now, I did want to show one thing here, and this is over on CoinMarketCap. And so this tracks, it's kind of the go-to for a lot of people if they're tracking more than just Bitcoin. But again, you can see the 4% drop in Bitcoin. In fact, maybe I'll give this a quick refresh just to make sure we're somewhat accurate. Okay, there we go. So yeah, 3.8%. So we're coming back a little bit here. You can still see Ethereum down about 7.6, XRP down 5.6, Bitcoin Cash 4.6. So there's a lot, but what I want to do here is I want to price things in Bitcoin to see where you sitting in alts. You probably got a little bit wrecked here. Um, you can see some single digit. You can see some double digit drops across the board, um, depending on what you were sitting in. Some of these were a lot more pronounced earlier. You saw some, you know, 11, 13, 14. You still do see some of that across a lot of the uh, the DeFi tokens. They're taking double digit hits. So if you're sitting in most other things other than the stable coin, you probably got a good punch to the gut. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm not super worried because I'm not trying to trade this stuff. So I'm just happy to sit on and accumulate Bitcoin over time. But if you're trying to trade in and out of this shit, ooh, yeah, it's, it can be rough. Now, on a more positive note, there's a, a, an article here from Cointelegraph and it's called Profit-Taking Bitcoin Miners Won't Stop the Next Bull Run. And so they say that Bitcoin miners sold substantial amounts of Bitcoin throughout the last two months, but on-chain analysts believe it won't stop the next bull run. Historical data shows some miners began to sell Bitcoin at the end of July, leading to increased selling pressure in the cryptocurrency market. Eventually, the dominant cryptocurrency fell steeply from mid-August, according to uh, recording a 13% fall. And since then, Bitcoin has struggled to retake the $12,000 mark. According to CryptoQuant CEO Ki Youngju, continued selling by miners might not be enough to prevent a bull run. On-chain data analysis firms closely observed that movements of miners and whales, because of the uh, they hold significant amounts of Bitcoin, Willy Woo, an on-chain analyst explained that miners represent one of the two external sources of selling pressure for Bitcoin. He previously said there's only two unmatched sell pressures on the market. One, miners who dilute the supply and sell onto the market. And two, the exchanges who tax the traders and sell onto the market. When miners start selling their Bitcoin holdings, typically they, co uh, they to cover expenses, it could trigger a correction in the cryptocurrency market. For instance, from August 17th to September 5th, the price of Bitcoin dropped from $12,486 to $9,813. During that time, several whales sold Bitcoin right at the 12K mark, and the same behavior was observed amongst miners. The selling pressure coming from miners and whales noticeably has been attributed to the current crypto market slump, but in the long term, Key explained, it is not enough to stop a prolonged bull run. If miners abruptly sell a significant amount of Bitcoin, it could cause a severe correction as a small price movement could trigger liquidations from heavily leveraged traders. Hence, even a relatively small sell-off by miners could theoretically cause massive price swings. Key says the intensity of the sell-off from miners was not strong enough to halt future bull runs. And the quote here, miner update, some miners began selling at the end of July, but I think in the long run, miners didn't sell enough Bitcoin large enough to stop the next bull run. According to ByteTree, the net inventory of Bitcoin miners declined by 125 Bitcoin per week in the last 12 weeks. The data indicates that miners sold approximately $1.362 million worth of Bitcoin per week atop the Bitcoin they mined and sold. So they're selling a surplus of Bitcoin above that of which they've been buying, indicating that they're diving into their reserves of Bitcoin that they've been stocking up on. Now, as Key emphasized, the data shows that miners sold substantial amounts of Bitcoin, but not in amounts that were irregular to normal behavior. So all in all, it kind of seems like, yeah, miners are diving a little bit into the reserves, uh, but those reserves only go so far, at which point the default selling pressure is more or less coming from whatever is being mined that day. So we'll see how long this goes on for. Now, 
on the, I guess, more positive side of things as well, Bitcoin's average transaction value, the average amount or dollar amount uh, being transacted on the Bitcoin network in each individual transaction has returned to 2017 levels. So, and this kind of blew my mind, the numbers here. As the bull run continues, well, whether or not it's bull, I'm still bullish as hell, but some may interpret it otherwise. As the bull run continues, the average value of a Bitcoin transaction is at its highest level in over a year and active addresses have sustained levels close to all-time highs. The average value of Bitcoin sent in a single transaction has reached its highest level in more than a year, hitting a peak of more than $129,000 on September 17th, so just a few days back, according to blockchain data provider BitInfo Charts. The last time Bitcoin's average transaction value rose above 121 grand was in August of 2019 when one or a few massive transactions pushed the total to more than $812,000 on average. And that was an anomaly. The average cost of a Bitcoin transaction hasn't been this high since late 2017 when Bitcoin's price hit its all-time high of just below 20 grand. That the number there kind of blows my mind. The average the average amount of Bitcoin or dollar value of a single transaction is 129 grand right now. So if you if you felt like you didn't have much Bitcoin before, if you if you average out the value of all the transactions going through the network right now, 129 grand is the average, meaning that there are a lot more people transacting more than $129,000 and uh, and those smaller transactions are not making up a lot of the network. So, um, wow, impressive that there's that much money being pushed around day to day. So anyways, uh, let's move on a little bit here. MicroStrategy CEO, uh, so Michael Saylor, he's been, obviously we talked about him last week. Uh, he's been in the news all over the place. They bought up a ton of Bitcoin, $425 million worth of Bitcoin for their company treasury because they thought that sitting on $500 million of cash was like sitting on a melting ice cube. Uh, so he's really done the rounds. He's been on all of the major podcasts. I've listened to a couple of the interviews had a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, the, the one with Pomp was really, really great. Regardless, uh, he seems to be quite the Bitcoin maximalist. And I was saying that last week that he really seems to understand kind of the ethos of why Bitcoiners think the way they do. And he's done all this in like a year. He's really quickly latched on and consumed a lot of information to get to the point where he he is right now. Um, so I just wanted to touch a little bit on, on this article here. So MicroStrategy's decision to use Bitcoin as its primary reserve currency has Michael Saylor seemingly favoring the asset over altcoins. In a September 20th tweet, the business intelligent company's CEO stated that he considers Bitcoin to be a crypto asset network, unlike tokens like Ethereum or stablecoins, which he referred to as crypto application networks. Posting a chart from analytics site Bitcoin Dominance, the CEO claimed that the coin's dominance has advanced from a low of 71.05% on December 20th of 2017 to 93.57% today. 
And his tweet says, when considering network dominance in the crypto industry, I find it clarifying to separate crypto assets networks like Bitcoin from crypto application networks like Ethereum and stable coins. Bitcoin dominance has advanced from a low of 71.05% to 93.57% today. Uh, so he goes on. However, Sailor does intentionally, he is selective uh, when it comes to his data, which was in the tweet there anyways, right? Um, Dominance fingers do not include initial coin offerings, so ICOs, or stable coins. Only include coins using proof of work that are attempting to be money, which, I mean, if you're looking at uh, dominance in a certain industry, don't you want the qualities of the in- industry? So let, let's say ICOs were legitimate, which they aren't. <laughs> but let's say you were talking about what ICOs were trying to be, which is effectively like owning a piece of a company that is building something. That would be like measuring Bitcoin dominance versus all stocks. It, it doesn't exactly make sense to have a market dominance against everything that people are putting money into everywhere. I mean, I get you could do that, but I think it's more more apt to compare Bitcoin to reserve currencies or to gold or in this specific metric to cryptocurrencies that are trying to be money because you're trying to determine which money is likely to take most or all of the pie. And so, uh, yeah, that's (laughs) anyways, I want to show you the website he was looking at. So this is bitcoindominance.com. And again, as stated, it only includes the coins that are trying to be money that are proof of work. And it further explains why exclude ICOs, why exclude stable coins, um, why only proof of work, why, uh, why does this matter? And why is there an option to include or disable Ethereum, which he did exclude Ethereum. So like here you can see we're at like 78.8%, but if you exclude Ethereum, it's 93.75. So the reason for excluding Ethereum, if somebody would was looking at this, is again, the claim that Ethereum is not looking to be money. It's looking to be kind of like this, this, Decentral. Well, originally it was like the decentralized world computer, but that narrative has very much shifted over time. But um, regardless of the fact, Ethereum is looking to move to proof of stake. And if and when that happens, you can see at the bottom here, they say uh, if or when Ethereum moves to proof of stake consensus algorithm, it may be removed from this index entirely. They talk about why why they're um, only doing proof of work. They say Bitcoin dominance only includes proof of work coins in this index because so far proof of work is the only consensus consensus algorithm known to be able to keep the network decentralized. Decentralization is important because if it cannot be achieved, then there is no improvement over the current system of centralized banking. That's a pretty good reason in my opinion, but I mean, let me know what you think about that. Either way, um, even if you include Ethereum in here and you just look at the coins trying to be money, which I think is probably a good thing to do uh, to measure how you know how far ahead one coin is over the other, it's pretty stark here that Bitcoin is a huge chunk, is a majority chunk of everything in in crypto trying to be money.
Um, so I kind of summed up my thoughts on on how quickly Michael Saylor arrived at these these considerations. And so I said, turns out when you're researching to justify a $425 million capital allocation, you can bypass the seemingly inevitable shitcoin phase entirely. Um, I was thinking about why this might be, and I realized a lot of crypto people just kind of accidentally stumbled into money though uh, through what it was effectively degen gambling. So, you know, some people just happened to have some coins early on or some Bitcoin early on that they weren't, they didn't really know why they bought it. They just, it was a curiosity. Those, from what I've seen, those people tend to not have put thought into it or value it and therefore are kind of not super aligned with the value proposition of it. Anyways, moving on through my tweets here, um, contrast this with an individual that has spent decades building businesses and holding on to assets. A lot more thought goes into where that hard-earned money is parked. If you're bad with money and win the lottery, you're likely to squander that wealth if you don't get wise and educate yourself quick. If you come into money through building something of value, you're more adept at assessing value. My guess is that the Michaels of the world are already allocating into Bitcoin. The lottery winners or the uneducated slash honored wealth individuals of the world will pile into a basket of shitcoins near the latter part of this bull market. I do genuinely think that's going to be the course we take. You're going to see a bunch of Michael Saylors that are going to come out at some point in the next few months, six months, year and say, hey, listen, uh, we've already been stockpiling some Bitcoin as part of our treasury. Um, and it'll come up in, in quarterly reports for various companies. Then as shit gets rolling and kind of the hype train gets going, you're going to see people that haven't done the work, but see the trend that are saying, well, maybe we missed the boat on this. Maybe we can get in on some of this other stuff. And they're going to allocate hard into like, the, you know, whatever basket of diversified crypto they happen to get. They'll probably be saved by the fact that they have some Bitcoin in there, but they're going to get wrecked on those other shit coins when the next reckoning of uh, of the bear market comes along so that's kind of my guess i could be wrong but i i think the same thing that happened to a lot of people that diversified back in 2017 is now going to happen on a grander scale with companies hopefully less so or like less people will put more consideration into it but the ones that just jump on the train are going to get wrecked for sure um Anyways, kind of segueing from the MicroStrategy stuff, uh, I really like what Unchained Capital is doing here because they're seeing the trend of companies looking at moving into Bitcoin as a reserve asset and they're helping with that. So uh, this article from Coindesk, the MicroStrategy effect, this firm is helping businesses save in Bitcoin. So uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and its accompanying monetary policy have caused a surge in demand for Bitcoin. And now companies are eyeing digital gold to protect their treasuries from cash depreciation. Announced Monday, Bitcoin financial services firm Unchained Capital has released an advanced business account specifically targeting firms that not only want to hold Bitcoin, but want to handle their own private keys rather than rely on some third party crypto custodian in keeping with the ethos of not your keys, not your Bitcoin. The impetus to launch this service is straightforward and simple. 
it no longer it's no longer just folks in the crypto cryptosphere who are worried about the printing of money, negative interest rates, and the like. Just look at MicroStrategy's recent moves. So I'm going to jump down a little bit um, now. There. So this is Parker Lewis talking about how they're kind of dealing dealing with this. Um, we have companies that you wouldn't expect like your local bakery or your local liquor store that hold Bitcoin in treasury, Lewis told Coindesk. They are not Bitcoin-centric businesses, but they hold Bitcoin and they hold their own keys, both small and large, like the micro-strategies of this world. Now, um, we make this really simple, said Phil Geiger, Unchained's head of marketing. We hold one key, our clients hold two keys, which means that our clients are really in full control over their Bitcoin. With these new business accounts, we have built out a combination of enterprise level controls for different user types, accounting, and so on. But at the base of everything, it's the Bitcoin protocol. Now, uh... I guess this is kind of the author interjecting here. It says, uh, they say, this is all fine and dandy, but regulated financial firms see a gray area at best when it comes to crypto custody and are likely to lean towards the closest thing to the traditional world, a regular, a regulated custodian such as Bitco, Bitco Trust. Now, Lewis goes on to say, at first blush, that's entirely logical, but I think there will be this push and pull in terms of the way things were and how things are shifting over the to the way things will be. We have this new form of money. Do we need to forfeit it to legacy regulation that has existed for 30 or 40 years? Maybe the reality is that the regulations need to change to deliver the best security. Um, so yeah, I, I really like this idea of of a collaborative custody solution, especially for people that are diving into the space that are worried about screwing up, but also understand the ethos and understand the value in having control over your own wealth. So you can have and, and pay a third party to make your setup fault tolerant. So if you screw up, there's still somebody to help you up, so help you out. So you could have a major screw up and still be able to get to your money. Um, I think solutions like this, and I've been talking and using a lot of multi-sig lately, and I've done a bunch of videos. I did Unchain's uh, open source um, project. Oh, God, why am I forgetting the name of it? Anyways, I did Unchain Capital's uh, Caravan. That, that's what it's called. I did that multi-sig solution, which is free to use for anybody. Uh, I just did, um, I've done Electrum. I did Lily Wallet. And I also did another one recently, which I'm totally, oh, Spectre. Uh, and so there's a, a lot of good multi-sig uh, solutions coming out. It's still new to a lot of people. So if you're looking to dive into it, then, you know, just be cautious. Don't put a lot of money into it. Try, try breaking it, try doing things wrong to see, see what you understand and what you don't, but feel free to dive through my old videos. There's, there's a bunch, just look, look up multi-signature on my channel and there should be four different videos that you can parse through there. Anyways, uh, kudos, kudos to Unchained for, uh, jumping on this positive trend. Um, Okay, I wanted to dive into this really quick. This is going to be a bit of a longer show because this story is very interesting. The FinCEN files, secret documents, detail failures of global banking industry. 
banks watched on as millions of dollars of dirty money was funneled through the global financial system. Just another story to exemplify all of these bullshit worries over, oh, Bitcoin is used to launder money. The banks are used to launder money. And if you don't think that they're doing it, it's just because you don't have enough money for them to give a shit about you. Um, so what happened here? Uh, leaked documents detail how over $2 trillion, $2 trillion worth of do dirty money has been funneled through the world's biggest banks. Uh, this was published by BuzzFeed. Over 2,500 documents, including 2,000 suspicious activity reports uh, documents, how authorities were provided with evidence and failed to act. So it's not just that the banks were doing shady shit, but there were suspicious activities reports filed and nothing was done. So this is like systemic. It's not like people got around the regulators. It's like the regulators were like, <laughs> uh, the FinCEN files are unprecedented. In 2016, the Panama Papers documented how the world's wealthiest avoided tax with the help of law firm Mossack Fonseca. Uh, a year later, the Paradise Papers revealed further offshore dealings to the benefit of politicians and other public figures. What makes the FinCEN files different is that they reveal systemic evidence of global corruption rather than the wrongdoings of a handful of actors. Uh, Fuck banks, enter Bitcoin, tweeted Pavel Rosneck, co-founder and CTO of Satoshi Labs, creators of hardware wallet Trezor. <laughs> uh, anyways, some details around some of the stuff that slipped through the cracks, quote unquote. Uh, London-based HSBC allegedly allowed the transfer of millions of stolen funds around the world. According to FinCEN Files, these transactions occurred after evidence of illegal activity was found by U.S. authorities. In the Middle East, London-based Standard Chartered was allegedly found to have been moving funds for Arab Bank in Jordan uh, more than 10 years after clients of the Jordanian entity were found to be funding terrorism. And German bank Deutsche Bank was reportedly shown to be moving dirty money connected to terrorism and drug dealing. Uh, this, the SAR documents... Uh, the series of transactions that flowed through the bank. Um, furthermore, FinCEN files have implicated financial centers around the world. Among them, London features prominently as an international capital for financial crime and corruption. One of the FinCEN files' uh, biggest findings is that JP Morgan allegedly facilitated the movement over, over of over $1 billion through a London company. At the time of the transactions, the bank allegedly had no idea who was behind the money. Later, it was discovered the funds might belong to the Semyon uh, Semyon Mogilevich. I think that's, I'm not saying that right. So that's a Russian mobster found on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. So like, they don't care. They don't care. If you think that they care, they really don't care. It's just, people are just, where's my fee? Um, and so like, it's, it's funny because the regulations, they catch the people kind of in the middle, that middle range, then it also makes it incredibly onerous for regular people that just want to send money easily internationally. And then the people at the top that are the worst of the worst are just getting a total free pass. So like, it's a really broken system. I don't, I don't know. 
maybe we just use law enforcement to enforce crimes instead of worrying about money itself. Maybe. I like the, I like the end, the byline at the end here. It says, banks and regulators spend a lot of energy figuring out how to manage reputational risk. Perhaps taking suspicious activity reports seriously would be a good start. Excellent way to end that article. Anyways, guys, uh, a little bit more positive to end here. New uh, new volume of Citadel 21, my favorite cultural magazine for Bitcoin, uh, has just dropped in digital form. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed this. One of the ones that I really liked was Bitcoin Zero to One Money by Human Jets. Uh, if you haven't read Zero to One, is a book by Peter Thiel talking taking about talking about how really innovative companies taken an an idea that didn't exist and making it exist and how this relates this article is all how it relates to bitcoin and bitcoin is kind of like a zero to one jump and all of the altcoin noise is kind of like thinking that they're zero to one but and presenting it that way but it's not it's like iterations with bitcoin and and you can only jump from zero to one once in a particular method or in a particular sector or or technology Anyways, I really enjoyed this. Um, I'm excited to get my physical copy of Citadel 21 Volume 1 pretty soon. And I did just subscribe uh, for six volumes after the fact. So excited to get those in. If you haven't checked them out, uh, do. Because it's a fun read, even if you just check it out digitally. Anyways, guys, I'm going to wrap up here. A little bit of a longer one today. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. If you're here on YouTube, do hit like, subscribe, share. All of those are very important. They very, they really, really do help. Uh, if you want to help in another way, hit up the sponsors that I mentioned down below. Ledin, you can get that 50 free bucks. Crypto Cloaks, you can get the 5% off for BTC Sessions. And the Kobo Vault. Uh, remember, they're giving away free stuff. So retweet the show and let us know if you want one of those steel seed plates and uh we're going to be doing that for until the end of november uh if you really love what you saw you can drop me a bitcoin lightning network tip at my tippin.me page that is t-i-p-p-i-n dot me slash at btc sessions and with that i'm out have yourselves a wonderful day wonderful evening wherever you are and i will see you next time for your daily session